Hello, and welcome to the Star Wars Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined by my co-hosts for this series, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Guys, today we will be discussing 1980's The Empire Strikes Back, the fifth film in the Star Wars saga. The Empire Strikes Back kicks off with the Rebels once again on the back foot in a battle with the Empire on the snowy, Rebel-controlled planet of Hoth. Darth Vader has his sights set firmly on Rebel pilot Luke Skywalker with a goal of stopping the Jedi Order from rising again. Luke, however, is able to escape to the swamps of Dagobah, where Obi-Wan Kenobi has advised him to track down <coughs> the old ma Jedi Master Yoda. Meanwhile, Luke's friends Han, Leia, Chewbacca, 3PO, and R2-D2 are being pursued by Vader and his soldiers to try and force Luke out of hiding. As they try to escape Vader's clutches, a budding romance begins to form between Han and Leia, but one that may or may not face danger in the form of Han's old friend Lando Calrissian. Jay, we'll start with you. Instead of asking your general impressions on this movie, because I imagine we're all pretty much in agreement on our feelings on this film, uh, I want to start with a more specific question. The Empire Strikes Back is considered by most Star Wars fans to be the best film in the series. Is it the best entry yet for you? And to go even further, is this potentially one of the best films of all time? I will definitely go as far as to say this is uh, one of the best, if not the best, Star Wars films I've seen. Um, I, I definitely can't bring myself to say this is one of the best films of all time. And I mean, you know, con like for context, again, like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this a lot later than I feel like a lot of Star Wars fans have seen it. And I'm sure like, you know, at the, the time it dropped, it, you know, probably carried a lot more weight. And I can definitely appreciate that, um, you know, as an outsider, for lack of a better term, best Star Wars movie probably we'll, we'll do an official score at the end and a very 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 good movie scott ringing endorsement best star wars movie probably <laughs> i don't want to spoil my score yet that's the only reason people listen right yeah they actually just skipped to the end so it even, i don't even know why you're talking to be honest yeah. Um, yeah. now uh the empire strikes back it's been i probably haven't seen this one since High school. I, I don't think I had rewatched the original trilogy since high school, and I had forgotten how awesome this movie was. I was watching it here with um, with my uncle, who's a big Star Wars fan, and my mom, who's not a big Star Wars fan, and neither of them were as into the movie as I was. I was really into it. Uh, I had just forgotten just how awesome the characters are. Just to briefly go and dip into general impressions before I answer your very pointed question. I think it's one of those things where, the, in terms of this movie's progression from the previous one, I feel like all those things that I had complaints about, whether it was Luke being a little bit annoying, some of the characters feeling like they're quickly adapting, maybe too quickly adapting to their surroundings. I think that this movie benefits from the fact that Luke has, and maybe Mark, and maybe this is part of Mark Hamill, maybe this is part of George Lucas, or who I forget who actually wrote uh, Empire Strikes Back, but I think it's one of those things where they've worked out the kinks. I don't find Luke that annoying anymore, and I certainly think that this movie can sit on the shoulders of the original Star Wars movie of saying, all right, now you introduce these characters, you know where they're at, and you can just experience them for what they are. And for that reason, I think that this movie is definitely the best Star Wars movie that I've seen of the five we've reviewed so far. And, or I guess the four that we reviewed so far, and now we're reviewing this fifth one. And I would go out on a limb and say this is one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, Scott, I agree with you. Um, I, watching this movie, I tweeted this out, but um, 
I probably looked like an absolute idiot when I was watching this movie because um, I was just like laughing. I was having just a great time watching this because it had been a long time. Uh, I mean, a long time, a few years probably since I've seen this one. Uh, and yeah, you do. I mean, e even though everyone talks about how great The Empire Strikes Back is, I think maybe if anything, uh, the fact that I because I watch a lot of content where people talk about Star Wars and talk about um, how The Empire Strikes Back is the best. Uh, of the movies. And I think, so I think that almost diluted it in my mind um, thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, this is the one everyone thinks the best, but then watching the movie, I'm like, oh yeah, this is why they think this movie is the best. Cause it is really, really good. Um, I, so I, I had a great time watching this. Um, I think one of the things that it does really successfully is it tells a more sort of intimate story, I think, than um, a lot of the recent movies that we've dealt with. I mean, in particular, the prequels is trying to tell this, the are, are trying to tell this really grand story about politics and the entire fate of the Republic. And, um, and it's whole, this epic tragedy of Anakin yeah, Skywalker. Yeah. The whole Jedi order um, here. This is just kind of, uh, you know, we're telling Luke Skywalker's story. Yes. Um, but for the most part, we are, uh, just hanging out with that, uh, you know, main crew of Han, Chewie, Leia, uh, 3PO, and R2-D2. I, we were recording a podcast last night, Scott, and I compared it kind of to uh, almost like an Avengers-type team-up movie, uh, in a way, uh, the, the time that we spend with these characters. And it really is focused more not on, like, is the Empire going to conquer the, you know, the Rebel Alliance, but on, you know, is Darth Vader going to track down Luke Skywalker? Are um, Luke's friends... Uh, going to fall prey to Darth Vader's attempt to track him down is it really is more of a story about the people than it is about um, the whole galaxy. Uh, and so I think that's one of the reasons that it succeeds. I mean, as you pointed out, Scott, this movie was not written by George Lucas. Um, it was Lee Brackett and, um, and Lawrence Kasdan and Irvin Kirshner directed the movie. This is the first one not directed by George Lucas. Um, and so you can make of that what you will, the fact that this movie is uh, maybe the most successful of the five so far um, that we've seen. But, um, you know, obviously Lucas's imagination is still on full display here. Uh, I think this movie is just, yeah, all of all of the parts come together uh, in a perfect way. It has everything you could want from a movie from, uh, you know, comedy, action, romance, like pathos. It has like one of the most famous plot twists of all time. Not really a plot twist anymore because of how it's become part of pop culture. But at the time, I mean, you know, one of, one of the most famous plot twists of all time. It has everything that you uh, could want from a movie. And so, yeah, it is when you, when you see what Star Wars has become, I think The Empire Strikes Back deserves as much, if not more credit than uh, the first movie, because um, yes, the first movie was a phenomenon and kickstarted the whole Star Wars thing, but it not it would not have become what it was if it wasn't followed up um, by equally good, if not better, movies. And The Empire Strikes Back is you know a great example of that, um, where they weren't uh, you know they weren't just content with reprising what people loved about the original. They really took the story in new and exciting directions. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree. I think it is one of the best movies of all time. Um, you know, Scott, we talk on here about uh, justice for genre movies and how genre movies, unfortunately, don't get considered among the greatest movies of all time uh, because, I don't know, they're considered uh, to be the lowest common denominator or something. But um, this is one of the best movies of all time, genre or otherwise. Um, and yeah, 
All right, guys. Uh, so with that out of the way, <laughs> now that we've two out so, of three yeah, of us. So, yeah, I think we're done for the day. We can yeah. wrap things up. Um, we, two, two of the three of us have now called this one of the greatest movies of all time. So let's get into talking about maybe why that is. And uh, to be fair, I think Jay, having seen this movie for the first time, it's right, really yes. hard to see a movie for the first time and say this is one of the greatest films of all time. I've yeah. only done that with one film in my life. Scott, I'm sure you can guess what it is. Venom. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Um, but we'll move on from that. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Uh, and I honestly, I would have been surprised if Jay had said, "Oh yeah, this is totally one of the greatest." Because I mean, don't get it, me wrong. You know, I had a really fun time. I laughed yeah. out loud like quite a bit, which you know hasn't happened in you know any of the previous movies. Not like as much. Um, and I don't think I was smiling, you know, as much as as much of a goofball as perhaps you were, Scott Harvey. But yeah, you know, I definitely, not. I definitely did appreciate, uh, you know catching up on a, on where a lot of famous lines in pop culture come from. Like, oh, surprise, this movie. Yeah, no, totally. Um, okay, let's talk about the cast now. Most of the cast remains the same from the original movie. Um, we have all, all of the major players back. Um, Obi-Wan, to a lesser extent, but, you know, Alec Guinness does pop up here and there. Um, and I guess your two new additions, or two or three new additions, uh, would be Billy D. Williams, uh, as Lando Calrissian. Um, you also have uh, Boba Fett popping up for the first time, voiced by Tamara Morrison, which, Scott, you said in your letterbox review, I kind of agree. It was a little weird to hear his voice. That was obviously something they added in after the fact uh, to make it make the continuity there with the prequels. As well um, as Ian McDermott. Yes, and that's he, the other the other cast member who returns here is Ian McDermott um, as the Emperor um, who, you know, makes his first appearance, uh, you know, in the Star Wars universe uh, here in this movie. Retrospectively, because uh, he was added in after, because he didn't actually yeah. start playing Palpatine until until uh, The Return of the Jedi. Episode six, yeah. Um, so, Jay, uh, who were who some standouts in the cast for you? Did the new members make an impact? Um, and, you know, did the old, did any of the old members of the cast take a step up in this movie? Yeah, I mean, so for the people we added, you know, I've, I've obviously heard the name Lando Calrissian a lot. Um, again, you know, just being around the circles I am. Also, Sterling Archer's a big fan of his, so, you know, heard his name a lot. Um, and, I mean, he was, you know, fun. Again, like, you know, just a fun, like, oh, like, that's where that comes from, and this is who that is. Like, you know, I guess taking a second to, you know, appreciate, again, you know, the nexus of another big pop culture reference. It was definitely exciting to see Ian McDermott back. Uh, um, definitely surprised and, you know, the, the direction that, you know, Vader was willing to go with him towards the end. Um, and in terms of the original cast, I mean, I wasn't as bothered by Mark Hamill as perhaps Scott Shelton, you were, but, you know, I think he also did take a step up. Um, you know, I, I definitely was more charmed by Harrison Ford this time than I was last time. Not that I wasn't previously, but, you know, you'll remember that I ended up giving my MVP to Carrie Fisher. I don't think I'll be doing that this time. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, great cast all around. And like you said, it was, you know, fun to ride along with this, you know, specific crew and hear their intimate story. Scott. Yeah, no, I, I think that, the, you know, this movie, I agree. I will echo Jay's sentiment. And I know I already said this already, but I think Luke does take a step up. I still don't think he is on the level of the other two, you know, members of the central three. I still think Carrie Fisher's Leia and and of course Harrison Ford's Han sits sits above him, but I no longer think of him as as an outlier, sort of in a, in a, in a slightly annoying way for parts of the movie, which is how I felt about A New Hope. And in terms of the new characters, honestly, 
you know, I, of course, having seen all the Star Wars movies already, I have a certain opinion about all this. But I don't know if Lando makes the impact that you know his height might might uh, might lead you to believe. If you you know Jay, if you, you know you've heard of this character before, you know, especially if you talk to anyone about Star Wars and if they mention Lando, you, he might be more hyped for this film than he delivers on. I think that his presence is a little bit underwhelming. But as you can imagine, Jay, you know, you're you're going to see Billy D. Williams in another movie. And I think from maybe from that perspective is when he will have more of an effect. I mean, we'll, we'll see when we get around to it. But f- so for me, it really does come down. And I think this speaks to the point you were making at the beginning, Scott. It comes down to that time you're spending with those central characters. They're, you know, they are separated. They are in different places for a large part of this movie. And the movie relies on you being really invested in Luke's training, you know, meeting Yoda and, and training on Dagobah. And then it relies, of course, on this chemistry and dynamic between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford. And Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford are like amazing. They are just so great in this movie. It's one of those things where like you're like, oh, this is a bit of a weird dynamic from A New Hope. And then, you know, the direction they go with it in this film, it's very believable. It stays true to the characters that you learned about in the first film. And it takes it to the next, it takes it to the next level in terms of that relationship, both in terms of, of course, their relationship that they're having on screen, but also the chemistry that they have. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty well written. Yes, some of the lines are cheesy and I really, but that's who Han is as a character. And I think it works so perfectly for, for who he is. And Harrison Ford is just, yeah, I mean, he's the absolute goat as Han Solo. He's absolutely incredible. Uh, I thought that in in A New Hope, and I think that even more here at the end of Empire Strikes Back. You know, I, I just to quickly touch on the other very brief cameos we get from, I mean, it's it's not physically Tamir Morrison because it's he, the guy's in armor, but uh, hearing his voice, again, it's weird. Uh, it, it's a little bit off-putting. It's not too distracting, but the fact that I did think about it <laughs> uh, when I heard it and it distracted me is tells you that it was a weird continuity choice, but it's such a classic George Lucas thing to do to like go in and re-record the audio and tape over it. And Jay, we'll talk more about George Lucas's uh, retrospective, you know, rejiggering of of, of uh, Return of the Jedi as well next week. But for for me, it was weird. I wasn't bothered as much by Ian McDermott because it. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but it is weird to think about the fact that when if you go on Wikipedia, you're like, well, you know, he wasn't the original actor in this movie, and they literally just re-recorded it and put it back over, and it's kind of weird that way. But I think this movie relies so heavily on those key three people, and they deliver. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think with Lando, part of the problem is that there's a little bit more telling than showing um, when it comes to this character, uh, because there's not a ton of time for them to establish Lando as a character. So you have to have everyone else. You have to have Han talking about how, Oh, you know, he's a scoundrel. And Leia saying, you know, we can't, I don't know if we can trust this guy. And uh, a lot of it is what the other characters are saying about him. Uh, And we just kind of go along with that rather than Billy D Williams actually demonstrating, or I mean, really getting a chance to demonstrate through his performance that this is who Lando is. We have to uh, just take what the other people say. Uh, as gospel. Uh, so, right. We should have watched Solo, a Star Wars story first. <laughs> yeah. But I think he's still uh, a good character and a, a solid addition here. Uh, but yeah, this, I think it is all, this movie more, more than any of them, maybe is all about that, that Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher dynamic. And it works incredibly well. I think as far as Harrison Ford goes, you know, Scott, we talk about with, with my favorite actor, Tom Cruise, we talk about how he's not just a movie star, but also a really good actor. And that's kind of what puts him uh, above a lot of quote unquote movie stars. Um, 
And I think before there was Tom Cruise doing that, there was Harrison Ford doing that, right? He's not just a movie star. Obviously, he is one of the biggest movie stars of all time. Um, but he's also a really good actor. And I think you get to see that here. I love some of these early scenes between him and Leia where um, his reactions to like when she is just coming at him are like, he's he's just like so confused and like stunned. Like his bewilderment feels very believable uh, as to, uh, we talked about last time with A New Hope, how this is kind of, Han is kind of your like Western John Wayne hero and not someone who usually gets put in his place by a woman. Uh, and so it feels right that, uh, when that is finally happening, um, he would just be kind of like standing there in open mouth amazement a little bit, uh, which is what we get early on. But then we see what we see is he really sort of leans into his like scoundrel persona uh, because uh, he feels like Leia, that that is what Leia likes about him. And so I, just a great performance by Harrison Ford. And I do continue to be impressed with uh, Carrie Fisher and the whole presentation of Leia you know, a lot more uh, assertive of a female character than I would have expected to see from a movie, even in the 1980s, even in um, a big franchise like this. I think um, it, you know, uh, it's easy to see that um, Princess Leia has probably inspired a lot of the uh, more strong female heroines that we have been get in, getting in big budget movies only recently. Um, and so that's really cool to see. Uh, I think Carrie Fisher, uh, more so in this movie. I mean, in the first movie, she was almost kind of a bit player. But in this movie, I think she really gets an opportunity to shine uh, and definitely takes advantage of it. Okay, guys. Yeah, no, sorry. I'll, I will say I completely yeah. agree with that with that point about Leia. She's always kind of in the background, it feels like, on, on in A New Hope. And then getting her getting to take center stage here with Han and have so much, you know, banter back and forth between the two of them for such large portions of the movie, you know, y you have to be able to deliver on that. And again, it, 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 you have to almost pinch yourself like this movie is 1980 and you're getting someone like princess Leia. That's crazy. Uh, you know, maybe we're being a little bit too hard on 1980. I don't know, but it's not what you expect uh, looking back on looking back on that year. Yeah, totally. Okay, guys, let's move on and talk about some of the new locations that we get in Empire Strikes Back, because actually we don't see any of the old locations, any any locations that we're familiar with uh, in this movie. It is all about three new planets. Uh, the first one is Hoth. Second one is Dagobah, uh, where Yoda lives. Uh, and then we also have Cloud City, Bespin, um, which is where the climax of the movie takes place. Uh, Jay, to start with you, did, you know, did any of these new locations stick out to you? And if so, why? I think Bespin stuck out to me the most, um, just in that it felt like there was the most, I guess, potential to, to come out of that place. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's the site of the end of the movie, and, you know, the, and there's not so much, I guess, like running around or through the city or through the planet, however you want to phrase it. Um, but, you know, it, it felt like Hoth was just kind of isolated, right? It was just like this ice planet where there, you know, I mean, the base is there, but there wasn't really much else to explore. And in Dagobah, you know, it's it's just this like swampy, you know, oh, like, this is where we're going to train, right? And, it, you know, it's not that it wasn't like, you know, cool to see the diversity across the different planets, like, you know, the the thought and the time that goes into, you know, creating a universe with planets that all have different ecosystems and whatnot, you know, can be appreciated. But I think, you know, Bespin, I am, would, if you had, to, you know, if you'd ask me to guess, hey, where will, which of these three places will we see again? I'd probably guess Bespin. Interesting. All right, Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, you know, this feels like another, well, I should say two of these planets feel like your typical Star Wars types of planets. You have the ice planet in Hoth, you, have, you know, full of snow, frozen, 
you have these weird monsters like wampas and you ride around on tauntauns and it's very it's very star wars and then you have dagobah which is like your kashik but more swampy <laughs> instead of just a forest uh and then you have cloud city and i think that you know bespin sticks out in the fact that it's different it's not you know if you had to lay out your list of like archetypes for planets you wouldn't put cloud city as one of them and i think that that's what makes it different and stand out in that feel kind of way i mean it's also one of those it's also one of those planets in a more human way that feels like there's a lot more mystery to it. Obviously, Dagobah has tons of mysteries to it that are that are a little bit more supernatural in their feel, which I don't think you know you don't always necessarily connect to. You may be interested by it, but you don't always connect to it. And I think that Cloud City is this really interesting traitor, I guess like scoundrel, smuggler type city where you're you spend a significant amount of time there in terms of of the movie because you know, like you said, the entire climax kind of takes place there. But you're you never really exploring the city to Jay's point. And I think that that leaves a lot up to to the imagination in terms of what it could be, what it's like. And so in that way, I, th I think that planet is really cool, really, really um, thought provoking and really interesting in that way. And as much as, you know, I, maybe we'll see some of these planets again, maybe we won't. But I, I think it's one of those things where there's a lot more to explore on Bestman from a human perspective. And I think the human perspective is often uh, what some what some of these planets are missing when we talk about the planets in Star Wars. Uh, and then, of course, there's so much lore that you could explore from a force perspective on, on Dagobah. So there's there's a lot more there's there's a lot there to talk about. But to me, I think that the planets, although they may have been a huge role and a huge part of the prequel trilogies for me in terms of uh, the effect that they had on me, although I think the planets are better here in Empire Strikes Back, they still don't overshadow the incredibly strong performance from the cast, as well as you know the, the narrative drive of some of these relationships. Yeah, I know. I agree. I think Bespin might be my favorite Star Wars planet, um, thinking about it. it it's just on a surface level, it's such a cool location for those climactic scenes. Uh, cool, no pun intended, I guess, but uh, in terms of what happens to Han, but um, it, it's a cool location for those uh, climactic scenes. Uh, I think that kind of gets overlooked. Maybe we see that, um, that final battle and Luke, I am your father. That is, that scene is such, such a part of pop culture um, that I think maybe we under underscore the importance of, uh, or understate the uh, the importance of the location to that scene, and I think that really adds uh, ambiance to uh, the scene that makes it uh, feel so epic. So I really like Bestman and Scott. I think you hit the nail on the head too about um, there's an aspect of the planet. What, what makes it so interesting is that there's an aspect of the planet that uh, yeah is otherworldly, right? Like it, it's it's a city in the clouds. Um, uh, and and that's you know when, when you're in these gas chambers and stuff like that you kind of sometimes are like confused really about what you're looking at exactly what you know what is this room um and but at the same time there is uh, a human connection to it so like uh connecting uh sort of the you know the otherworldly with uh something that we are more familiar with uh i think makes uh naturally makes us more curious about what's really going on on Bespin. Like, you know, you see that scene where Lando, um, you know, gets on the intercom or whatever and calls out to all the people of Bespin. And up until that point, it's kind of like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't even realize that there were all these people in Bespin uh, because you really are only seeing the uh, inside of this uh, one facility um, where the the characters are for the, most of the climax of the movie. Um, and 
so that yeah that that's where you bring in sort of that that human element of it that makes me want to know more about Bespin. Uh, and it's also you know talking about how cool it looks the the very end of the movie too right where Luke is you know hanging out there among the clouds. Um, it's just an awesome setting for that too. So I love Bespin. Um, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think that <laughs> you, to your point about the setting, I don't think the end of, you know the end of the movie where Luke is like hanging on to the bottom of the city and like wailing in despair about, you know, this truth that he's just realized it wouldn't have the same effect. I don't think if he's not literally just hanging on for dear life at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and as for Hoth, like, I think it's cool, not necessarily because of the actual setting. I mean, it's just a very snowy tundra, but, um, because of the whole battle and the creatures and stuff like that, Scott, that you mentioned, um, I think really add a lot to, Hoth as also one of the cooler planets uh, in the Star Wars universe. Again, no pun intended. So yeah, I, I really enjoy all three of these new locations. Um, definitely three of my uh, favorite planets in all of Star Wars. Okay, let's move ahead to the uh, action scenes in this movie since I was just talking about maybe some of the battles that go on uh, on Hoth. That's, of course, the first action scene we see in the movie is this prolonged battle sequence that takes place between the rebels and, uh, you know, the big AT-ATs um, on Hoth, which I think is a really cool action scene. But, you know, we have uh, the the lightsaber battle later in the movie with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. We have um, this sort of strange sequence with the Millennium Falcon caught inside the mouth of this creature, which is kind of cool. Jay, what, what are some of the scenes that stood out to you as far as the actual action of the movie, guys? I mean, so the... Attack on the rebel base on Hoth. Um, I don't know. And again, I, I will tie everything back to all the other pop culture and be like, oh, that's where this came from. So if you remember uh, in Captain America Civil War, when Spider-Man suggests taking out the giant Ant-Man by wrapping his legs, using something in a very old movie called Star Wars. Um, I didn't you know, process at the time that it was Empire Strikes Back, but I saw that happen and I was like, oh, like that's that. That's really cool. Um, and of course, you know, there's plenty else going on. But again, you know, I will notice and really appreciate, you know, the origins of, you know, the other things that have spawned out of this. Um, you know, I did like getting the lightsaber battle at the end. You know, I will not really compare them to the ones the prequels at this point, but just compared to the last movie where, you know, I was quite underwhelmed. This was a step up. So that was nice. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Scott, how about you? Yeah, I think... Scott, it sounds like you've read my letterbox review, so I think that you'll know that I think I said in my letterbox review that the battle at Hoth is like probably the best fight in, in that we've seen so far, and best battle that we've seen so far in Star Wars. Uh, obviously, there's no lightsaber duel involved with that, but I think that it's so cool when you have them flying around this planet, and when you think about you, you know this the ATATs, and one of the things I was thinking about is like. This scene is awesome, and it looks like shit. It looks terrible. Yeah, the AT-ATs look awful. It looks pretty cool. And it's still yeah. really freaking cool what it is. And, 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 and I was just imagining, like, imagine if this was remade today, and they just, George Lucas likes to remake scenes in this movie. What if he just remade all the CGI for the AT-ATs? Of course, it would look incredibly out of place. But the point is that this scene is still able to be freaking awesome and look terrible in terms of the AT-ATs. And I think that that's really cool. I think that, you know, one of the funniest things, which I don't know if it's ironic or intentional, is the fact that, like, you know, Luke, Luke's um, 
wingman or or co-pilot in the ship gets killed and yet the ship doesn't blow up somehow just the perfect shot straight through the windshield and and kills him uh poor dak what's he what are you gonna do sometimes but no i think i think this battle is awesome and i think also one of the really cool things is yes you have this battle going on outside you have you know luke and and some of the other pilots trying to take down the atats but also inside you have you know han and leia trying like running around trying to get out and that feels really claustrophobic and really tense and really exciting, especially because once you realize that, you know, when the shields get brought down, when Vader is inside there as well, like, is he going to catch them? Is he going to get up, catch up to them? Uh, Are they going to be able to escape? And so I think that you have the elements of like kind of the epicness of a big battle. It's not, it's not necessarily in space, but the epicness of a big battle there with the ATATs, but also like the, again, to go back to something that you talked about that makes it such an important part of the movie is that that personal story between Han and Leia trying to, trying to escape from, from the base and, and, you know, at the, at the center of Hoth. And, and I think it just makes for the perfect recipe for a great battle scene. Yeah, no, I think it, it works really well because in some ways it almost calls back to that very first scene in A New Hope on Tantive Four, right? You have Vader showing up trying to track down Princess Leia. Um, but in A New Hope, we're still kind of unsure about like, oh, who are these people? What do they want? Um, but in this movie, we have more characters. We know who the characters are. There seems there's generally more at stake. So it works possibly even better. Um, than that scene on Tantive Four. Um, yeah, it's it's one. You know, I've I've mentioned and alluded to this already, but I think The Empire Strikes Back is is one of those rare movies. You know, we talked about this actually. I think with John Wick earlier this year when we were reviewing it on the podcast, is that it's able to it's a sequel that's able to be better than the original, which isn't that common. And that's because it just relies on the fact on the world that it's already built on the characters it's already established and just does everything right. And I think that. Yes, to your point exactly. We don't feel the same way about that opening scene because we don't know any of these characters. Now you could argue, okay, maybe it's a less interesting scene, but it's one of those things where it, because you you know the characters, it, it can just be what it is, and and what it is is really great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing that I did think was a little strange about the ATATs, though, is that. Uh, you know, they're shooting at them and they're like, oh, their blasters don't work. Like the blasters aren't doing anything. We're going to have to use the cables or whatever and take them down. So then they take the ATAT down and it's like face down in the snow and they shoot like two laser beams at it and it just explodes. And I was like, what? Uh, it just that, hit the right spot. Scott. Yeah, it, it hit I mean, the vulnerability. I, I guess so. But that was a little strange. But yeah, it was. Uh, I thought that too. <laughs> nitpicking nitpicking here because the movie is so good but yeah they also do i think beef up the uh lights lightsaber battle for sure i for some reason i think there's something so satisfying about darth vader doing like the one-handed like swipe at luke's head like basically trying to like take his head off and like luke ducks and it just explodes the pipes and everything in this gas chamber um that's really cool and then luke like force jumping out of the uh for contamination or uh Carbonite. Freezing chamber, yeah, carbonite chamber. Um, it again looks kind of strange, uh, but uh, is is kind of cool and and you know a, a little bit like surprising because you at this point you don't really know how advanced Luke's Jedi powers are, right? Like he really struggles uh, when he's on uh, Dagobah with uh, Yoda. Yoda, you know, definitely suggests that hey, you still have a lot to learn. Um, and in this way, it kind of calls back to Attack of the Clones, right? Um, which of course is the second movie of the prequels, right? You ha- you have uh, Anakin who sort of rushes into this battle um, because he thinks he's just, you know trying to protect the ones that he loves and whatever. I also like the uh, I guess that they probably did this in uh, Attack of the Clones maybe as a purposeful callback, but uh, also in this battle scene we see like Darth Vader using the Force to like bring down objects on Luke. 
Um, and that's exactly what uh, Count Dooku tries to do in Attack of the Clones, but Yoda like is able to like easily parry them off. Uh, and so I think there's kind of a, a nice uh, dichotomy there with, hey, look, Luke, he may be able to hold his own a little bit in this battle, but he's not Yoda yet. There's still a lot that uh, he has to learn. So I really thought that that was uh, interesting to look back on now, having watched Attack of the Clones fairly recently. Yeah, and you've missed the the biggest callback, which is the red and blue lightsaber in a dark room. And uh, between... getting your hand chopped off. Oh, yeah, uh -huh. that too. But the, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where we probably have a whole podcast about how the Attack of the Clones tried to call back to Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Maybe it was successful in those callbacks, but it wasn't successful as a movie, which you can just go back and re-listen to our episode episode two for this. I, I think it's one of those things, though, with the, talking about the lightsaber duel, because I just kind of just spent my whole time talking about Hoth. It is really cool. And I, one of the things that I find so interesting is that, yes, you don't know it yet, but when you rewatch it and you're, and you're part of pop culture for so long, you know that Vader is Luke's father. And yet you see this rage come out of Vader too when he's you know making that one-handed swipe at Luke's head, which is a, a really interesting dichotomy between, all right, he's literally trying to chop, chop his head off. And, you know, and then a few minutes later, he's trying to convince Luke, you know, come with me, join me. We can rule the galaxy together. We can overthrow the emperor. And I just find that to be a really interesting dichotomy and a really interesting component to Vader's character, a character which we haven't even really talked about at all uh, on the podcast so far, you know, talking about James Earl Jones's voice performance. And because I think it's really strong. I think it's an improvement from A New Hope, even personally. I think that you, you find this character, you don't have Tarkin anymore. So Vader really feels like the big bad in this movie and it's one of those things where he's super menacing he kills three different admirals just because they fail him poor and, uh, talk talking of uh referencing the schmodown scott poor captain nita got it there um yeah, yeah unfortunately unfortunately um, yeah but I, I find you know to, to, to but to just to close that loop there i think that the final that that climactic scene between luke and vader is interesting of course for what you learn and, and how and luke's position in that scene and, and what he goes through but also an interesting explanation of vader as a character i think because you know yes he is this in in many ways he's this one-dimensional big bad but then you start to get this different side of him and you learn that actually he's a really complex character because this is his son and he has known that at least for parts of this movie and yet he's still filled with this rage and trying to kill him in certain moments. And I think it just presents a really interesting, it paints an interesting picture for Vader and, and how you, how he's parsing through his own, his own situation. Yeah. And so since you brought that up, I want to go ahead and transition to talking about the plot uh, because I do want to ask Jay, obviously we're talking about the callbacks to attack of the clones uh, and attack of the clones is kind of where we see Anakin begin to turn to the dark side um, a little bit. And obviously, um, that is Vader's aim here, right at the end of the movie. Uh, he's trying to turn Luke to the dark side, getting, get Luke to join him. Um, so going forward, we have return of the Jedi coming up next. What do you think? Is Luke going to fall prey? Because obviously, uh, again, history is repeating itself. He loses his hand. He, uh, you know, a, a lot, there's a lot of different similarities between his arc and Anakin's arc. Do you think Luke, uh, is going to fall prey to the same, uh, problems that his father did uh, and turn to the dark side? Uh, or do you think he's going to write a new chapter for the Skywalker legacy? That's a great question. And I think I'm just totally guessing here because I actually have no idea. Um, my ultimate guess is he will not 
at the end be on the dark side. I don't know if there'll be some weird in between where he's there and then betrays them or if he, you know, just flat out from the gun is like always against him. But, you know, from where the movie ended, like, I mean, he didn't seem, he seemed, you know, pretty fear, not furious, but just, you know, upset, I guess, that, you know, Obi-Wan didn't warn him about, you know, what was going on. And I feel like, again, you want to talk about history repeating itself, kind of like the, you know, the young Skywalker being left out of like the Jedi circle for, you know, lack of a good comparison, just in, you know, not knowing what, like, you know, what was going on. And I'm sure there's a certain amount of resentment that, you know, could build up there. Again, I don't, I don't think he'll, you know, go Darth, I guess, for <laughs> lack of a better word, but, you know. Turn to the dark side. Yeah, sure. But there, you know, there, I imagine there'll be some resentment, but I feel like he, you know, will, as you said, write a new chapter for the Skywalkers. I hope I'm not wrong. Scott, other thoughts on the plot and maybe why it works better than in some of the other movies? Yeah, in some ways, I think we've really already alluded to this and touched mm-hmm. on this a little bit, but, you know, you're getting to, uh, like, a large portion of the plot, is, I guess, okay, to, to zoom out, like, the plot of this movie is that, like, Luke needs to become, you know, a Jedi, right? He, like, he needs to, to he, he, yes, like, Obi-Wan taught him a little bit and spoke with him, but they were together for only a short period of time, and he needs to go find Yoda, and he needs to get stronger, and then he needs to, and the plot then goes from, okay, he's done that, and he needs to go confront Vader and save his friends. But that's not all that you get in the movie. And then along the way, Scott, I mean, we talk about how we enjoy slice of life films all the time. And a lot of the, in a lot of ways, I feel like the time that you spend with Han and Leia is that, right? And I think that is one of the things that really works for us. And, and clearly it really works for a lot of people because a lot of, like the other part of the narrative drive of this movie is just Han and Leia trying to escape the Empire and just experiencing what they're going through along the way. And so in some ways... This movie has, I think, a little bit less plot than a lot of the other movies that we've watched so far. And it really benefits from it because the characters that they've created and the world that these characters are living in is some of the best part. And we've consistently talked about that's one of the most interesting parts. We talked last week about why is Star Wars the phenomenon that it is. And it's because the world that it created was so interesting. And I think that this movie does a great job letting you, yes, experience parts of this world in terms of Bespin, in terms of some of the other new planets. Like we're getting entirely new settings in this film. But then also experiencing the characters that, you know, you got invested in in that first movie. And yes, there still is a really compelling plot line, especially with Luke around, you know, learning who he is and becoming the Jedi we think that he's supposed to be. And then at the same time, you have Han and Leia doing their thing, getting to know each other better. And also, it's a complete disservice that we haven't really talked about them so far. But like Chewbacca is awesome. Yeah, I was going to get like, to that. The too. droids are awesome in this movie because it's not just Han and Leia. Yes, they, they, they steal the scenes that they're in. But C-3PO and R2 are still hilarious uh, in their back and forth, although they don't spend that much time together, I suppose, because I guess R2 is with is with Luke. But in that final scene, when they come back together, you get that classic R2-C-3PO banter, which is mainly just C-3PO, uh, which is, I mean, Anthony Daniels crutches that role. And then Chewbacca, I think you, you get to know Chewbacca a little bit better just through context, right? Getting to know his relationship with, with Han and Chewie. And that's clearly something that worked in the first movie for people. And the fact that you get more of that here in Empire Strikes Back is nothing but positive. Yeah, absolutely. I think as you're you're hitting on, Scott, it uh, it's all about the relationships um, and not just the ones that we have talked a lot about, the relationship between Luke and Darth Vader, uh, but also, uh, or, or also the relationship between uh, Han and Leia, but also, yeah, Chewie and Han in there. Like we see the effect that, uh, Han's fate in this movie has on Chewie. Right? He tries to just basically take on all of the Empire by himself, 
in order to to free Han. And Han has to say, look, no, like this is not what's best. You got to stay and protect Princess Leia now. Um, and so that we get some nice dynamics to that relationship. And yeah, even the C-3PO, uh, C-3PO and R2, uh, we get some nice dynamics there. Of course, C-3PO gets, uh, gets ripped up um, and has to be put back together. Um, I, I do, I do love the scene with Chewbacca going in there to, to rescue him and, uh, and just going ham on all of those, uh, who, who, the, I, I mean, I, they're not soldiers, I guess the people of working on Vespin who are in there, um, with C-3PO is pretty funny. And also C-3PO's confrontation with the other silver droid that looks exactly like him. Uh, and he's just like, hello. And the, the droid says some kind of like unintelligible, like, yeah. yeah it it sounds uh it, not <laughs> how rude it, not the friendliest yeah um and that's just like it's a very random but hilarious moment in the movie um yeah, so, yeah it, My, i love the part where you, uh lando comes into the room and you have like c-3po and literal pieces on the floor he's like got a problem with your droid i'm like no 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 problem at all it's <laughs> a droid that's in literal pieces when like, yeah five minutes ago you saw him completely whole outside on the landing platform yeah absolutely it's great um and so, yeah, it's the relationships that make this movie work, uh, I think. Uh, and yeah, to your point, have made Star Wars uh, last as long as it has, I think. Anything else that you want to add before we move into the wrap up? I don't know how much of a discussion point this is, but I found myself thinking that 3PO was right about a lot of the concerns and grievances. Like, no one listens to poor 3PO. Um, he, he's always trying to give them the odds, but they don't want to hear it. <laughs> poor 3PO. Gotta say, there's some uh, two things about this movie that we haven't really talked about yet, and it's hard to talk about in specific detail. But even you know, as much as I, I ragged on how bad the ATATs looked in this film, there are so many amazing shots in this movie. Like following the Twitter, Jay, I don't know if you follow this Twitter account, but I think Scott, you do. Is the one perfect shot Twitter account? Like, yeah. you could have a whole day of just like one perfect shots from this movie, and and I think that's it's not that that there aren't also great shots in other Star Wars films, but it just seemed like there were like shot after shot after shot. We talked about the one with Luke kind of hanging off the bottom of Cloud City, but you know there's several on Hoth, there's several on Dagobah. There's just the way the the well, movie is framed is just gorgeous. Yeah, and we have that ending shot too with Han or with Luke and Leia standing there with him and his his like arm around Leia that kind of calls back to that shot of him looking out at the. Um, Son in tat or the the two sons in Tatooine um, in A New Hope that it definitely calls back to that scene um, and it, it makes you wonder at the time because I guess it's still not clear at this point um, whether Leia is also a Skywalker um, you know whether Leia is going to choose Luke over uh, the bad boy Han because obviously Han is in quite a bit of peril at the end of the movie he has been uh, frozen in carbonite and sold back to Jabba or being transported back to Jabba the Hutt for uh, whatever is to come in Return of the Jedi. Again, no spoilers, but um, yeah, we can talk about the love triangle probably in the next episode, but what yeah. a cheap way to get yourself out of a love triangle. I mean, come on, have have two of them be related. Garbage. Yeah. Well that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but, and one of the other, the other thing that I wanted to mention too, is that, and this alludes to, you know, you're talking about don't tell me the odds. It's saying, you know, this movie has just so many incredible iconic lines as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, cool. It's yeah. not Luke. I'm your father either. I love. I love that everyone pop culture thinks that oh, that's the line. I am not. your father. Yeah, yeah, it's not the line. Um, I, yeah, I no. personally, my favorite one. I guess just to dip in a little bit to like a favorite scene. Uh, of course, it's the it's part of the climactic scene. But it's like yeah, the force may be with you, young Skywalker, but you're not a Jedi yet. It's like a yeah. great start to that ending scene. Just 
I was like, ooh. Get yeah, me. the Yoda stuff is good. We didn't talk a whole lot about it, but uh, I love I love the fact that uh, even like the wisest sages Jedi master like Yoda becomes a crazy old like <laughs> delusional guy uh, in in his old age. Like the first uh, the first form of Yoda that we see, he's like I mean, obviously he's there's still that uh, part of him there that is the wise old Jedi master, but um, he's also kind of kooky and wild in a way that uh, you don't get with uh, with Yoda in the prequels, which uh, is, is kind of fun to see. But yeah, all of that stuff is great with uh, him and Luke and. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe it. That is why you fail. Um, and, d- you know, do not try or there is no try. There is only do all, all again, to your point, all of these classic lines do or uh, do not. There is no try. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That you get from this, Lucky. from the from the Yoda sequences um, are great. Um, so, yeah, it's the whole thing is just iconic. Yeah, no, I, I think it's so interesting to watch the prequels for from a Yoda perspective. Right. Because. You know, Jay, can you imagine if, if this was your first interaction with Yoda and not the prequels? I think that it's it's such a different image. And, and time, to your point, Scott, has done has done something to, to Yoda. He's not the same Yoda that we saw 20 years ago in, you know, in, you know, uh, Revenge of the Sith. And I think it's a bit of a bummer because I kind of like Yoda more in the prequels than I than I do in the original trilogy. But that's also not surprising because he's no he's you know, he's a puppet in, in this movie. So it's true. It's true. Uh, he's in the nursing home like all of us are at the at the end of our lives, I guess. Um, yeah. But he, yeah, I, I think I would have been a little bit more bothered if eventually that, you know, sage old Jedi master had not, that side had not come out. But it of course does once he starts training Luke. So Yeah, and, and I think I like it's such that. a, it, it also, his whole point, his whole like resistance to training Luke and only does it kind of at the behest of, Obi-Wan's force ghost after being pestered so many times. I find that still a, such a continued interesting point about the Jedi order because it's something that came up, you know, in, in episode one in the Phantom Menace about how, you know, we can't take on Anakin. He's, he's too old. You can't do things like that. It doesn't go well when we do it. And it's not that he's necessarily right or wrong. Cause clearly he was right. He was right about Anakin. It was a bad idea to take him on uh, as a part of the, uh, you know, making him a Padawan and training him in the ways of the force. And to see that then repeated here again, it's just very interesting it makes you curious, I think, especially in the context of the prequels about Jedi dogma and things like that and, and their and their code and their and their morals. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I asked Jay about, you know, do you think Luke's going to go to the dark side in episode six? Because I think, uh, yeah, you could definitely make a case for that uh, based on what we see here. He's kind of being uh, there. There's that hesitancy in interacting with him that we also see the Jedi practicing towards Anakin. We had that discussion about whether Anakin was right. Um, in his turn to the dark side, right? Whether uh, the Jedi were being kind of ridiculous in the lack of faith that they were putting in him. Uh, and I think you kind of see that a little bit here. Also the aspect of, right, ask, being asked to put your Jedi powers, your Jedi training, um, your quest to become a Jedi above your personal relationships, um, which is something that Anakin is kind of asked to do. Like he has to keep his relationship with Padme a secret. And it's also kind of, what happens here or the choice that Luke has to make at the end of this movie, right? Does he uh, stay with Yoda and continue his training because he's not uh, been fully trained yet? Or does he go help his friends that he sees are clearly in danger? And uh, obviously Yoda, the old Jedi master is trying to, you know, get him to uh, not go help his friends, you know, telling him that he's not ready yet. Uh, And so we see that same tension there affecting him. Uh, that we saw affecting Anakin in the prequels. So again, it, it all comes full circle. 
All right, guys, let's move into the wrap up now uh, for the Empire Strikes Back. We'll start with MVPs. Jay, who's your MVP here? It's Harrison Ford. There, there's nothing else that you know. I am doing. I'm not trying. Like, it's Harrison Ford. Um, you know, I, again, I was just much more charmed by him this time around. Not again. Not that he wasn't before. Um, but you know, building on you know the character we got in the first movie, I just you know, and his interactions with Leia, but also you know how much he clearly cares about Luke, and that you know he risks his life to go save him at the beginning of the movie, like. And, you know, right down to his very last line, you know, I love you. I know. Like, it was, uh, it, it hit all the right marks for me. Scott, your MVP. Yeah, I, that line at the end there between, well, I guess it's not at the end, but the last line between Han and, and Leia is definitely one for the ages. And, and definitely is, that, that line, I think, is the MVP of the movie. I think it sums up the relationship between Han and, and, and Leia. Yes, this is a, I know, I guess for the sake of being different, I will say it's, you know, the chemistry and that relationship that you see develop between Han and Leia, that's the MVP. Because I think those are the parts where you, Scott, you talk about, you know, grinning the whole time, grinning the whole time, and just having a great time. I think that that is most uh, epitomized in those moments where you see this kind of budding relationship between Han and Leia, because it's like Leia doesn't want to like him, but knows that she does. And Han like wants to be a better guy than he, than he actually is. Cause he does care yeah. about Luke. And it's just so funny. I think the way that I framed it in my letterbox review is that like Harrison, you know, Han, Han Solo is this self-indulgent kind of like temperamental baby. Cause he doesn't understand Leia. He's not really getting his way with her and he doesn't really understand why. And I'm like, but like, can I be him? Can I be him? That'd be really cool if I could be him. Uh, because it, it's just, it's an amazing role. I'm going to go with Yoda. I think I, I like the, uh, uh, you know, seeing the old Jedi master side of him come out, uh, giving Luke sort of the wake up call, perhaps that he needs maybe trying to, uh, to get rid of some of that sort of uh, whinier, more obnoxious side of Luke that maybe we had a little bit of a problem with um, in uh, a new hope, you know, trying to be, make him become more Zen, right. Make him become uh a Jedi in not just in his abilities, but in his mind as well. Um, and so I, I really like uh, what Yoda does here. And obviously we talked about some of his iconic lines and um, him bringing the ship out of the, the swamp is, you know, an, an incredible scene uh, for sure. To mic drop. Yeah. Uh, okay. Jay favorite scene or moment. I mean, the easy answer, you know, is the ending scene, but I, I do want to give a shout out to all the times we try to jump to light speed um that was a fun little running gag we had going i mean if i if i hadn't picked han uh, maybe light speed would have been the mvp of this movie <laughs> it's not my fault the funniest part is when lando then says it later on in the movie uh-huh. uh scott favorite senior moment uh yeah my favorite moment is i just kind of baked it all in together with the with the han and leia at the at the very end i think the i love you and then i know it's just like yeah that uh, gets me every time yeah, it's it's uh, very, very consistent with the Han Solo character. I yeah, think. and all the, just all the lines in that. Uh, I'm a sucker for a good line, uh, as we discussed yesterday on the podcast for when we were recording that one. But yeah, no, it's uh, it, all those lines in the last act of the movie and the last you know climactic scene are amazing. Whether it's between Luke and or Han and Leia, or whether it's between Luke and Darth Vader. Yeah, it really does make you realize how clunky some of the writing was in uh, the prequels, for sure. Uh, um, I realized that already, but yeah, I take your point. Yes, um, making it just making a general comment. But, I know, I know. I know. Um, one of the talking about the prequels, one of the things which we was one of the clear weaknesses of the prequels, I think, was the romance between Anakin and Padme. Um, 
But I think that you cannot say the same for the romance between Han and Leia because I think they do a fantastic job with it. And so I will give my favorite scene to uh, the first kiss scene between Han and Leia here uh, in the bowels of the Millennium Falcon. Um, you know, it's some great banter leading up to it. And then, you know, they finally have this kiss that we've been waiting for them to have. And of course, 3PO has to bust in and... Uh, say that he has uh, solved the flux power couplings or whatever the, the line is that he says there. Um, and it just, it, it, it feels like a perfect uh, way to punctuate uh, that scene of the romantic tension between these two characters finally coming to a head. So uh, really, really love that scene. Sir, sir, I've isolated the reverse power that's flux what, coupling. That's what it is, yeah. Which is, thinking about it, that is like a completely nonsensical series of words <laughs> that George Lucas or, or the writers of this movie were like, let's just say a bunch of technical words of things that are probably parts of the ship. Um, but it still works for what it's trying to do. So We all saw George's love poems from the, the prequel trilogy. It's definitely Ooh. coming from George. Oof. All right, with that... Uh, we will start with Jay for the all-important score out of 10 for The Empire Strikes Back. This was an excellent movie, no doubt. And I think I'm stepping away from my usual theme of I'm so excited to see what comes next, which I still am. But I also could totally see myself watching this movie again sometime soon. It was that good. And I'll go ahead and give it a 9.4. Scott. 10.0. 10, baby. Um, I... Don't want to spoil too much, but uh, there may or may not be another 10 at some point in this series. Um, but I think it's hard for me to look back on all of the Star Wars movies and say that this is not objectively perhaps the best in the saga. Um, and so if this movie isn't a 10, then I don't know what else is in the Star Wars universe. Um, maybe, sure. maybe the Kevin Feige movie that hasn't been made yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um we see who the Marvel shill in the room is. But, I'm uh, kidding. Uh, no, you're not I, even kidding. It's fine. Yeah, I'm going with the 10. If this isn't a 10, then I'm not sure what in the Star Wars universe is. Maybe, maybe you feel that nothing is, and that's fine. Um, but I don't think we'd be doing this podcast, Scott, if we didn't feel that at least one of these movies was a 10. So I think this mm. one definitely I think fits still. the bill. I don't know. I think we'd still do the podcast just because the fact that Jay hadn't seen these Star Wars Fair movies enough. made it uh, worth doing. Okay, fine. Um, okay, guys, with that, I think that should conclude our discussion of Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope that you uh, will check out all of the stuff we have going on with Some Like It Scott uh, there in the feed. Uh, we have Ch Champ's Lunch episodes. We have, of course, the mainline podcast of Some Like It Scott uh, weekly reviewing uh, brand new movies in theaters and uh, we will be back with more of the Star Wars countdown uh, next time uh, we will be talking about the conclusion to the original trilogy of Star Wars movies uh, Return of the Jedi from 1983 but until then uh, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib I've been Scott Harvey thank you for listening <laughs>